today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. The uh, music scene uh, here in southern Ontario is, uh, well, iconic and uh, history-making, as a matter of fact. Uh, and one of the guys that made it so, uh, is, uh, he's actually, there's a biography written we're going to talk about in just a couple of seconds. Uh, but we're also celebrating the 40th anniversary of the infamous first police picnic, uh, which is why you just heard the police uh, a couple of seconds ago. Uh, the guy we're talking about, of course, is uh, is the one and only Gary Top, Canadian concert promoter and oh, author yeah. now. And he joins us on the program. Gary, great to have you on the program. Thanks so much Thanks for the for time today. Me. Let's let's talk a little bit about the, those days in Toronto, and uh, uh, we'll we'll get into to, to the police picnics in just a couple of minutes. But you grew up uh, around the same time I did, and now now I was in Hamilton, you were in Toronto. But I mean, you know, it's only a forty minute bus ride back in those days. Uh, Toronto, the, Toronto was was kind of like the the center of music in this country right now, uh, and you saw you saw a lot of these guys who became superstars later on in their infancy, and you saw them grow, didn't you? Um, yeah, it was a, a, a great era to be, uh, doing, uh, what we were doing. Um, the music business was, uh, pretty boring, heavy metal, saturated with disco, which wasn't that boring, but, um, so all these young bands were coming together in New York, London, and, um, they really interested me. Uh, they reminded me of the early 60s listening to, you know, the freeform new, new jazz that was coming out. This was like, the music was like completely different from anything we'd been hearing and as far as rock music goes. Well, what was it that attracted you to some of these acts? Because I know you talk in the book about, uh, the, I guess one of the moments that changed your life was when you saw Bob Dylan in concert. I guess it was in New York back in the early 1960s. Uh, right. Dylan was different. He was he was not like everyone else. He was not, that's just around the time the folk singing craze became big in North America. Uh, but you couldn't pinpoint Dylan. He was not of that genre. You, it was He was his own genre. And, and in subsequent years, a lot of the acts that you had a lot of dealings with kind of fell into that same category. They they were different. They were unique. I would say that you know when I saw when I saw Dylan, to me the folk music uh, boom was was kind of dying. Everything sounded the same. Plaid shirts, uh, you know, all the the Brothers Four, all the, all those yeah. groups were all sounding the same. And I had met a um, a folk singer that I named Len Chandler that I had seen in Toronto many times. On, in the village, on the street. And in those days, I mean, unlike today, and the stars would stop and talk to you. So I'm talking to the guy and he says, uh, I asked him who, you know, where, what clubs I should go to to see somebody new. And, um, he suggested going to Gertie's Folk City. And this kid, Bob Dylan, was playing opening for John Lee Hooker. So I went and, I mean, there was, to bring it to current times, he was like the Ramones of folk music for me. Mm-hmm. Um, the way he dressed, the way he sang, the energy he had, you know, it, it just was so different. And he, you know, really quite changed my life. And then, you know, doing the Ramones really changed my life because uh, I'd been running a, a rep movie theater and here for you know years showing different movies every night and um 
got into music and, and was really always been interested in music and wanted to um, continue in that in that way. Some of the, the the names and the big acts, Gary, that that you'd be associated with, and and basically, you know, exposed many of of, of my listeners to. Of course, uh, we're talking about some you know some huge names. You mentioned the Ramones, the Talking Heads. You uh, too heard of them? Uh, Simple Minds, great band, and of course, we talked about the Police just a couple of minutes ago. Uh, did you go looking for them, or did they just kind of fall into your lap? I mean, because there's a as I say, a commonality here. These were people that wanted to think outside the box to do something different, and and didn't mind taking chances is, is that what you attracted the these acts to you i had you know as i said i've been following them for a few years um before i actually started uh booking them or gary and i um but um in those days you know 1976 77 78 we were contacting the artists um you just, you know, you put them on a bus, they'd come in. Sometimes they even, uh, they do a show and they didn't, neither, neither party had money enough to put them up for the night and we'd show movies in the theater and then put them on the bus for the first bus home to New York. You know, we did deal with agents, but it was, it was a very personal business, not like it is now. Uh, well, yeah, I've seen some of those stories. I, I can still remember hosting a show at the old Horseshoe Tavern. I know you spent a few t- you, times there, too, uh, with some of those acts. And uh, down in the basement, the manager trying to pay a guy off with money out of the cash register. You know, it's just a, here's enough oh, to yeah. get you through the night. It, it, those those were tough times. You, boy, you had to love what you were doing to be able to perform in those days. Well, Gary and I always say, how did we do it? You know, now they've got grants. The government's giving grants. We have never had a grant, and uh, we took our chances. And, um, you know, that was probably part of the allure, you know, taking the chance. When I was a, when I was a teenager, I went to see uh, Thelonious Monk at the Colonial one, one Saturday afternoon. I was too young to go in and drink. And um, I interviewed him for my school paper, and he said, quote, unquote, the only cats worth anything are those who take chances. It's in my book, I think. But... Um, that really affected me, and um, I, you know, I kind of—it's uh, never been a monetary. You know, you've got to make a living, but it was never a monetary um, reason for for doing what Gary and I did. I mean, we're lucky to survive. What what motivated you? I'm talking about Gary Cormier, of course, your partner in, in these yeah. fabulous endeavors. What motivated you to get in? You're doing some promoting already, but to actually go to the festival thing. I mean, you know, it had been tried before. Uh, there were some great successful uh, festivals in the 60s. You mentioned Dylan, of course, the Newport Folk Festival uh, that, that he had pretty much made famous when he decided to go electric and they almost booed him off the stage. And that's one of the stories. And, of course, there's Woodstock and there was so many other great things like that. Uh, but to, to bring them back when, when you did, I mean, you, you were taking, you talk about you, you liked artists that took a gamble. You guys took a gamble, too. Well, we were in a position where when we first brought the police to town, it was at the Horseshoe in 1978. Nobody knew who they were. They didn't have a record. Uh, we actually took them to Chum to, uh, with, with, their, with their single, which wasn't Roxanne, and um, waited in the lobby for like half an hour for somebody to come out to see us and 
nobody did. So that's what it was like. Nobody back in the because I did well the top forty stuff for a while too before I got into talk radio, and that was the process then, right? When you wanted to break in a new act, uh, you had to get it played on the radio. And, you know, sit there in the lobby, wait for the music director to come out, and hopefully he'd not just talk to you, but maybe go in the office, spin the record, and if they added it to the playlist. And, and as you and I both know, and I'm sure many of our listeners do, uh, if you were an act that wanted to get exposure in Canada, you wanted to be on 1050 Chum. That was that was the yeah. gold standard, wasn't it? It was, but, I mean, we just went there because we thought they were good. Like, when we, did the, when we brought them to the horseshoe, 60 people over two nights, We've had a thousand people in the place illegally, but um, sixty people over two nights came to see them because nobody knew who they were. And uh, Gary and I, you know, we were behind the mixing consoles and stuff, and looked at each other and said, "This band would be great live." I mean, we really did not know who the police were, and it's a it's a funny story, but. Um, in those days, like the you know the the phone was ringing off the hook. And we couldn't really afford uh, long-distance calls. So <laughs> I had, like, a long cord for my phone. So if I had to go to the toilet, I took the phone with me. And I was in the bathroom, and the phone rings. Do you want to book a band called The Police? Who are they? I don't know. I'll find out. Calls back and says, Stuart Copeland. I knew who Stuart Copeland was because he was in this band, Curved Air. Sting, who's that? Andy Summers. Andy Summers. Find out if Andy Summers is... Who uh, who used to play with Kevin Coyne, who's a very eccentric uh, musician, a late musician in England, and it turned out it was. That's why we booked the police for Andy Summers to get Kevin Coyne. And as I said, sixty people came per night, um, and the reason we booked them was to get somebody else. And then the police came to the edge which was a 200-capacity venue. And by that time, they had sold, that was in uh, 79, they sold out two shows, 400, and then they went to the music hall and sold out two shows, and then they went to Massey Hall, sold out two shows. Then it was time they were on tour, and they were getting big. And because we were the underdogs, you know, in the uh, quote-unquote industry. I mean, nobody believed in us. Nobody cared about us. Nobody believed in the artists we were bringing in. We couldn't get into Maple Leaf Gardens. We couldn't get into the CNE at that point. And these guys uh, that had the right, had uh, access to this field at Highway, what is it, F Highway 5 and Trafalgar Road, mm -hmm. um, said, you want to do a show out here? So that was our, you know, that's, we went there and, uh, and did this outdoor show. I mean, we took a big chance, obviously, because uh, it wasn't even in Toronto. It was in the middle of nowhere. You know, it was pre-neighborhood. Pre well, um, sure. I, I, but that seemed to work, too. I mean, you know, because the, the most port festivals have been on before that. And, of course, that was the other side of Metro. Uh, and they had some success back in the 60s with what they were doing at the same time. Uh, 
but these guys, I mean, this, the police were the headliners, of course, for that first picnic. The specials, Iggy Pop, who's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, uh, Killer Joke, uh, The Go-Go's, Nash the Slash, which, oh, by the way, reminds me, you did a great deal of work in promoting Canadian talent, too, and giving them some exposure. I know the Payolas were on the bill uh, for that first show, too, one of my favorite bands from that era. Uh, and, and, you know, they needed exposure at that time, and, and you guys were opening, uh, giving them rather that opening to, to show their, til- their talent and their wares. Well, we did not ever book a band or an artist that we didn't like because, I mean, just like in your business, you uh, you spend a lot of time getting ready to promote something or to talk about to someone or about something. And um, so we never did that. And we always felt that if we were booking the local acts that we wanted to book, we would give them as much uh, time as we could, and we promoted them just as heavily as we would do, uh, you know, the headline, the uh, either headlining or imported acts, and um, you know, we really believed in it. And um, you know, Toronto had a, a great scene here for music. I would say. Oh sure. It was definitely um, as heavy as in New York and in London at the time, and. Uh, probably had more variety than either of the two cities and, and very talented when you listen to these 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 records or even garage tapes from back then listen to them now and and they sound as fresh as ever uh, the first picnic, as you mentioned, is North Oakville, oh, for all intents and purposes, up by Highway 5. Uh, second and third were at Exhibition Stadium. Did, did you and Gary figure, okay, we finally made it, they're accepting us now? Well, we finally got into the CNE, which was, uh, you know, I don't, we, we did, we did pursue a lawsuit with uh, our competitor because we could not get into Maple Leaf Gardens and the CNE. We did get in, and um, and uh, you know, the first place picnic drew, you know, twenty-five to thirty thousand people, and the second one drew about thirty, and the the third one drew about 35. So, I mean, they were, they were good, well-run shows. Mm-hmm. And, um, the thing about the first place picnic, though, compared to, like, maybe not Woodstock, but a lot of the outdoor festivals, they were all pre-programmed and, and are, and with up-and-coming names, obviously, but, uh, big up-and-coming names. And our, our, our first place picnic was very eclectic. The funny, Good story. Um, back in the in the early '70s, when I was running the Roxy Theater, uh, I wanted to do some promoting of music, and I um, I booked this, still one of my favorite bands, Little Feet, and um, they were managed by two guys. Little Feet uh, split up for my show, so I had to cancel, which was a regret. Then. I, with these same two guys, I booked, uh, I, through these guys, I booked uh, Captain Beefheart. So back now in 1981 or 1980, I'm, I'm reading a lot about this, this young kid called Prince who was playing around New York a lot in clubs. Mm-hmm. And turned out that he, he was managed by uh, the same two guys. And I contacted them about putting Prince on this show. And the the powers that be at uh, on the police side 
didn't think he was right for the show. <laughs> <laughs> it's always always those stories about Pretty yeah, what what it could have should have. You know, who yeah, knew at the time? Listen, we're, the, the, now the anniversary is coming up. Of course, forty years it's been. Uh, thank God you're not getting any older. But uh, I know there's going to be some uh, some commemorative T-shirts that are available right now, uh, and uh, the book is out right now. And, uh, and uh, interesting stuff. Some great reviews about the book too. And uh, I, I know your collaborator on that, uh, Dave Collier's a Hamilton guy actually uh, yeah. that you guys got to know. And uh, there's some fabulous stuff to go on there. They can find the book. Just Google the book. Uh, and uh, and you can get some details about some of the other stuff. Uh, I love coming down memory lane with you because uh, you know when you look at, at at the way that Canadian music scene has evolved, and it certainly has, Gary. You've seen it from its infancy uh, to where it is today, and it's it's flourishing today. Uh, but it's got to be heartening to know that you guys, you and Gary, were part of that. Totally. Um, I mean, you don't think of, you don't think about it at the time, but when you get thirty, forty years later, you know it, it's it's very gratifying to. Uh, to have, especially to have affected um, so many people by what we did, you know, like to post photos and things of shows or reminders of shows and to hear the comments uh, from, you know, then kids who uh, went to these things. It's amazing. And, um, you know, but you've got Lou Molinero in uh Yep, Lou's doing a Hamilton, great job here in Hamilton, who, yeah. Who I would say is as close to what we were all about as could be, you know, I mean, he, he's he, not because he's doing a t-shirt, but he's a good friend. <laughs> he, really, he should be the mayor of music in, in Hamilton. People, people in Hamilton owe him a huge amount, you know, for, for, for keep going, for keeping going. Lou's got Lou's got to write a book too. I mean, you know, there's some oh, of the yeah. people that he's brought in too. We're, we're, listen, we're short on time. I'm just so glad you had some time to talk to us about this. Uh, the two Garys have, were such an iconic part of the music industry uh, in Southern Ontario and in Canada for so many years. Uh, and uh, I tell you, 40 years later, you can look back on this and say, "Yeah, we we made a lot of that happen." Thanks so much hey, for listen, the time when today. I, when I was a kid, CHML was one of the stations. Yep, it sure was. Well, we're still here. Not not spinning those songs anymore, but we're still here. <laughs> Thanks again. Thanks again, Gary. Take care. Uh, you too. Uh, the great Gary Top, uh, one of the preeminent music promoters who uh, helped so many great acts back in those days, 40 years ago for that first sting and the police picnic uh, that was held, as they say, in a farm field by Highway 5 up in uh, the Oakville area. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.